Welcome. You are listening to Copland. Copland is about the life and times of our protectors and defenders, police, fire, EMS, medical trauma units, and the military. The underappreciated doing the unthinkable for the often ungrateful. I am Jay Dobbins, and I'll be your host. In each season, we will hear three episodes featuring extraordinary heroes, amazing personal experiences that will inspire and uplift you. Sometimes they might shock you. The highs and lows, the successes and the failures, told in their own words and all experienced during their personal journey of sacrifice to make the world a safer place. This is Copland. You are about to hear a personal story told transparently with brutal honesty. A hard life, a good life, a glorious life spent in service to others. A mentor, a partner, a friend. If this sounds like the introduction to a tribute episode, it is. There is no person on the planet who knows more about the art of undercover than Charlie Fuller. None. No one. Period. End of story. He honed the tradecraft, studied it, perfected it, then spent all that was left of his effort, energy, and passion to pass that knowledge on to others, training over 20,000 agents and officers worldwide, selflessly volunteering every single bit of the knowledge he had gained to anyone and everyone willing to listen and give it a try. I'll do my very best in this episode to do what I've always done with Charlie Fuller, to stay out of the way listen, and learn. Charlie's inspiration to be a lawman came from his father. Okay, my dad, uh, he, he, he never went in the Army World War II because he had flat feet and they wouldn't let him in. But anyway, he grew up in Landale, Tyler, Texas area, rural Texas area. Went to, got out of high school and went to business college. Federated Business College in Tyler, where he learned to type and take shorthand, stuff like that. And he went uh, to work for this guy at some company. He didn't like the way the guy did business. My daddy was such an honorable man, Jay, but I just can't even tell you. And so he sat down and wrote a letter to his congressman. He said, I need a federal job. And about three weeks later, in comes this application for the FBI. So he filled it out, and sure enough, they hired him. And he, my daddy was never an, an agent. He was actually the most powerful guy in the office. He was what they called the chief clerk, because he was in charge of all the files and everything. And under J. Edgar Hoover, who was nuts, uh, every six months, every office, he would send these inspectors in, and they'd go through all the files. And if the files weren't in order, in the sack, especially in George, he's the one got sent to Butte, Montana. <laughs> so, Daddy was really, really smart, and he never had any issues with those inspections. And you know, and he did some pretty cool things back then. The FBI had what they call specials. It's what we would do now. Like we send in an arson, ATF send an arson group in there, and that's what the FBI did. They called them specials. First one he was on was a Greenleaf kidnapping. This guy and his girlfriend kidnapped the Greenleys. He was a rich, uh, his parents were real rich. Anyway, they killed him and they caught him. 
and everything. Daddy was on that one. He went. He was on the Adolf Coors kidnapping. A lot of people don't know Adolf Coors was kidnapped and killed, actually, uh, out in Golden, Colorado. And so Daddy went out on that one. Also, he went to Selma, Alabama, where they were beating him, trying to cross that bridge. He had a really cool career. He built four houses that we lived in. He built the damn thing, you know. And he was just... Uh, just an honorable, good person, you know. When he died a few weeks ago, I, I had no sadness about it at all, and I still don't. You know, he just died in his sleep and had no tubes or needles or anything stuck in him, and he just, he was ready to go. He, he wasn't afraid of dying like me, you know. So, but he said 100 years, 7 months, and 24 days. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I'm a lot like him. Physically, I got a lot of his brain, which I thank him for every time I saw him. And so it's still carrying on a little bit with me, but he's a good guy. So that was my daddy. During his career on the street, Charlie Fuller, under the pseudonym of Charlie Dawson, has reached the highest of highs, and in fashion typical of Charlie, he talks of getting his start in undercover work and seeing the lowest of lows. Well, it was cool, Jay Bird. Yeah, I started in 70. I started in Florence, South Carolina. Back then, they had really good on-the-job training. You were assigned to a, an agent for a, a year, like your training officer, and then you got another one for another year. Oh, my God, Jay Bird. Back then, they had some investigators. I just can't even tell you. My, my first one was... L.D. Lee, he did everything. Undercover, he did everything. My second one was Ed Colley. Ed was a little short, heavyset guy. He had retired from the Army, went to work with ATF. And he, he, he taught me so much. He's the guy that got me into public speaking. I'll never forget. I would go with him to these Civitan or, you know, those kind of meeting things and where he'd make a presentation and I watched him three or four times and then he said okay you're up tomorrow night Charlie I said what? He said you're up boy <laughs> I didn't have any choice to Bird. <laughs> and we were a, a natural Mutt and Jeff because he was a tough rough speaking general man but we'd go to a gun store back in those days we didn't have inspectors we did the gun shops ourselves and oh Ed Kelly and I we'd go in a gun store and the minute we walked in the owner's going oh my god there's that Ed Kelly <laughs> and then I was a good guy because it was just the way it was but you know he taught me stuff like that he taught me how to interview and I don't know he he taught me a lot. I miss that guy. I do. And that was in the Carolinas. And, and I worked a little bit of liquor, a little bit of moonshine. But, you know, I could already see the handwriting on the wall. That liquor was dying out. and That wasn't where you're going to make it. And, and Ed Colley was more of a gun guy than a liquor guy. That's why I hooked on to him, too. And, and so I started heading down the gun road because I knew that's where I wanted to go. And then I got transferred to Greenville, South Carolina. They had a bloodletting over there. 
Bud Strength. What a great, holy smokes investigator. I can't, the best I've ever met in my whole life. Anyway, Bud was the boss there. They, had, they tried to go after one of the agents on bullshit. And uh, Bud testified for the agent. And, you know, they don't go down well. So they busted him there, left him in place, and brought in this guy who was an alcoholic. He was a total idiot. Um, so they went me. They sent me over there to kind of help support this idiot new boss, which didn't work because I hooked on to Bud Strength, and man, we made big cases over there, Jay. But that Greenville, South Carolina, back then was a gun-running capital of the United States. It was because of I, the interstates intersecting coming in there, and South Carolina didn't really have any state gun laws. I mean, Bud and I made a case on the Abbotts. 500 falsifications of 4473. 500. And I don't know, it's just blood strength taught me a hell of a lot too. I had a good time there. And I wanted to get back home to Florida. So I sat down and created, and I mean created, uh, this eight page request for personal hardship. Eight pages, single space. It was about my mother-in-law and my wife. It was total bullshit, Jake. It was, <laughs> it would make you cry, man. And anyway, so ATM finally said, well, I wanted Jacksonville. But they said, how about Orlando? I said, I'll take that, man, the heartbeat. So I went to Orlando. I've been on now six or seven years. Um, I hadn't done any undercover. I, I made undercover cases, but I had some great ATF guys doing the undercover for me. And I got down there as a beer a year or so. I said, you know, I need to try undercover. And I just said, I'm going to try it. And probably the biggest mistake of my life, Jay, my, really my first undercover of any substance, I went long-term undercover in Polk County, Florida, right in the center of Florida, rednecks and cowboys. And uh, the real issue was I didn't know nothing. I didn't have a clue, Jay Bird, okay? And my partner, they put me with living there, he was a professional informant. You know how they are. I mean, they're treacherous. And and so I was in there for six months, which doesn't sound long, but you, you know yourself. That's a long time, especially when you don't have a clue what you're doing, you know? And... It turned out okay, you know. We, we did catch this cop killer from Chicago. That's that's the guy that scared me most in my whole life. Was that guy? And uh, but so it, you know it ended successfully. But I I did a lot of things in those six months that were inappropriate, uh, falsified ATF forms, all kind of stuff. Sex with my secretary at the undercover residence. Just crazy shit, Joe. You know what I'm talking about. And when it it ended badly, we had to end it because of the snitch. But he gave me up. He gave me up to my bosses. But that was bad because I should have been fired. The good thing was my bosses were my friends. So they swept it on the rug. And that was good because I didn't get fired. But... Do you have any idea what the bad part of that is? I got no punishment for inappropriate behavior. And when you get no punishment, it's appropriate. Got me? It's like your kid. If your kid throws something at you and hits you with it, 
if you don't address that as inappropriate, they'll throw stuff at everybody. And, and I know people that listen to this say, oh, that's, that's no way. Wrong, man. I was addicted to undercover when I left Polk County. And I had this sense that as long as I'm making undercover cases and all, it's okay to fudge a little here, do a little there. You know, I mean, th that's the truth, which almost led me to disaster. But, you know, that's a kind of a later story. But that's the truth, man. I got no punishment for inappropriate behavior. So, and then from then on, I did a lot of undercover. Uh, it's really all I wanted to do. And I kind of cut to the end there. This goes on six, seven years. I, I get to where I'm smoking weed. I mean, damn, son. My mama, if my mama had ever known that, she'd kill me, Jaber. <laughs> that was so non trust Fuller. I can't even tell you, man. I can't tell you. And, and I was doing all kinds of stuff with informants and... I'd gotten divorced. Um, I'm living with this gal. And if I'd have stayed with her, I would have ended up in prison. I was headed to prison. There's no question in my mind. And that really scares me to this day, boy. I, I can't even tell you, Jerry, but I was headed there. And just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I say God saved me. Uh, it, it came in the form of my second wife. Uh, Connie Smith, and she was a state agent in Florida, and had been stationed in Tampa, and dated Joe Benitez, ATF, great, 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 what a great investigator. Anyway, um, and they transferred to Orlando, and the ATF guy said, why don't you look up Charlie? Hell, he's divorced anyway, so she did. I was attracted to her. She became attracted to me, and she saved me, man. I quit smoking weed. I, quit, I even quit drinking. I really cleaned up my act. I really cleaned it up. Like I should have been acting as a special agent the whole time. And so and we were married for... What happened was when I realized she didn't want Charlie Dawson. That was my undercover name. and That's who I'd really become, Charlie Dawson. She wanted Charlie Fuller. And, and that's why, you know, I, I cleaned up my act. I actually kind of quit working undercover. I would do a cameo here or there. But I got my fix by setting up as a case agent, putting together long-term undercovers. And the one, the first one was Connie. We had this target of Fred Cook. She wanted to put him in prison, and I wanted him because he had slipped by me. I had a, I did an undercover on him a few years before, a $10,000 cigarette deal out of North Carolina. Oh, stupid. I had a, you know, back then we'd go to a junkyard and get a tag and bring on an undercover car. And that's what I had. And he had connects, and so he ran my tag, and it came that undercover, and it came back stolen. And it just totally hanked him up. He shut everything down. He wouldn't even talk to me. So he was on my list, and so... We put together a long-term undercover in Cocoa Beach. I had a great, uh, I wanted a male and a female. And the female I wanted was, I found her a blonde, Gloria Smith. She was a state agent, alcohol, tobacco tax. And then I found a great undercover. His name was uh, Terry Altman. Uh, you never got to meet Terry because he committed suicide, but 
Man, he, he was a great guy. Uh, he looked like Charles Manson. He's scary as shit. <laughs> he looked just like, I mean, he's scary looking. And, and it's one of the reasons I picked him, because uh, Gloria was really good looking, and I knew they were going to be working in bars and all that. And I didn't want a lot of guys hitting on her too much. And so he carried this crazy looking guy. He posed as her girlfriend, and everybody was really kind of afraid of him. He never talked to me, or he, they were just, you know, you go in a bar and there's a crazy guy, you ain't going to mess with him. You know that, right, Jaber? That's the one you ain't going to go pick a fight with because you don't know what he's going to do. And anyway, it, really, it really worked out well. Connie and I fell in love and we got married. And we were married for about two and a half years. She divorced me, uh, and rightfully so, which, you know, that about killed me at the time. But I told my students, Vontae, you know, in, in your life, you're going to have bad things happen to you. Your mama's going to die. You're going to get divorced. You know, things are... But a lot of times, you just give it a little while. Give it a little bit. And you'll probably end up on a lot of those saying, you know, that was a good thing. That was the right thing. And, and it was. Connie went on and got remarried. Had two children, which she had never had with me. And she went on... She heard and became the director of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Can you believe that? Friggin' director. Yeah, yeah, she retired as the director there. And so, you know, and I went on with my life. She saved me. I, I wasn't headed to prison or jail or anything like that anymore. And so it, I, that's how I kind of got my fix on undercover, setting up long terms. I'm getting divorced. Uh, I had I had become a, I had been to the undercover school at uh, ATF Academy, and believe it or not, that was that was run by uh, Bill Benson. This was long before Kelly, and I, I enjoyed that class, you know. And Benson asked me to come back. We did a class for uh, the IRS Internal Affairs. And so that's where I kind of got my taste for teaching. And uh, and so then, Pat Kelly, the godfather, was retiring, mandatory. And his position was really complex with all the practicals and everything. And so they, doubled in, they wanted to double in covering for a year. So I was getting divorced. I need to get out of Orlando. I put in for the job. Pat had seen me in action. He knew I could teach, you know, and he knew I had the right heart for it. And anyway, so they picked me for that to replace, or to, take, to come after Kelly. You can't replace him, but, you know. And so I headed up there to the academy and worked, worked drank everything with Pat Kelly on the side for a year, you know, and then he retired and I, I finished it on. I was there six years, trained 1,200 new agents, and I had a good time there. Jay worked really hard. Uh, people think it's a funny thing, but, and I had fun, but I worked really hard there, but I enjoyed every damn minute of it. And then internal affairs come after me, uh, and it was all bullshit, or they couldn't prove it. 
you know. And anyway, I pissed off uh, Dan Conroy. I'll call his name. I hope he listens to this. He's, he had to he had to retire in shame because of Waco. And it, when I was internal affairs was on me, he was number three guy up there. And anyway, I did some statements that he didn't like, you know. And so he said, he, I remember he called uh, Balser at the academy. Don Bell, what a great human being. Hold this one. Anyway, it said, we're sending Fuller to L.A., Los Angeles. Well, that didn't work because then he told uh, his boss, I can't remember his name, who said, no, no, no. We usually let those guys go where they want to go. You can't be doing that. And I think the number two knew I'd come after their ass on age discrimination and everything else. So we, I negotiated out, went to Atlanta. I did about 19 months in Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, I, I worked with old uh, Vince Cephalou there. We had a good time. He was working the, the outlaws there in Atlanta, which had just about been destroyed. But he put the final nail in their coffin. And uh, then I retired. I decided, you know, I, 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 don't, I ain't got time to go round up a bunch of snitches and I can't shoot like I could. I can't fight like I wanted to fight. And so I'm just going to retire. So I retired 16 days after I was eligible. That's 50 years old in 16 days. And it was a it was a little traumatic for me because it was kind of quick. And, you know, one day, you know, I'm not an ego-type guy, or really not. And, but one day you're especially to Charlie Fuller, and the next day you're Charlie Fuller. You don't have no badge. You don't have guns. You know, it, it was just, it was, a, it was just. I had to get used to that. Could not have took me a couple of months, but that was a little traumatic. I think when you know you're going to go, and you got a year, it's, it won't. It's not near as traumatic. But I don't regret it, Jay Bird. I don't regret one day of it. <laughs> Before undercover storefront operations were the rage, or we figured out how they worked, Charlie established one of the very first in existence, inventing it on the fly. And I guess nowadays they would call it a storefront. Back then, they didn't do that. But what happened, I was in Orlando, and the sheriff there in Seminole County came to us and said, look, we got these two brothers, uh, Albert and Roger, they own a big used car lot in Sanford, Florida, just outside Orlando, and they're stealing stolen property. We can't catch them. A lot of the Sanford cops hung out there, and I don't, and he wasn't saying they were crooked cops. They just hung out drinking coffee, you know, stuff. So he just said, well, I can't catch them. I need help. So I got to thinking about it, and I said, you know what? I want to see if we can't open a undercover used car lot. So I'm thinking, what undercovers? I mean, boy, I had a lot to choose from in ATM. And I said, I'm going to take Bob Hofer. He's still alive. He's in Pensacola. Florida investigator. Holy smokes. Anyway, so I said, Bob, you want to do this car lot? He said, hell yeah. And then I, I picked Frank Frazier out of Atlanta. Now, Frank was way old school, great undercover. I mean, I just, I can't even tell you what a hoot he was. But anyway, so we, we go and we opened an undercover used car lot. 
in Sanford, Florida. Now, I will say it was a chicken shit car lot, okay? <laughs> Our office was a little storage building. But, Jaybird, we didn't badge anybody. We got bonded. We got licensed. We got it all, man. Spencer Auto Sales. And so uh, now my guys are fixing to go in there and open this car lot. So I, I went to, and this was a multi-agency. I love multi-agency deals. It was, uh, we got Seminole County, Florida Alcohol, Tobacco, FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And so and even DEA became involved too. So, you know, it, it was a big deal. And uh, I went to Beverage first. And I said, give me them cigarettes. I know y'all see cigarettes. They gave me all the cigarettes they had, the liquor, all that. And so Bob Hofer and Frank Frazier, when they opened, the day they opened the car lot, they were in town trading cigarettes, selling them. Now, we could sell them because the money went right back into the car lot. You know, now you couldn't do that kind of crap. But, so they they became known pretty quick. These are bad guys. They're bad guys. And so we, we caught the Hunt Brothers. They ultimately delivered 100 pounds of weed to us, which back then in Seminole County, that was a big deal. And that thing went on for about seven, eight months. We caught a bunch of other people, too. And, and I don't know. It was just... It was a, and then you got the bureaucrats. You, you experienced that with the, working the angels and all that, you know? So here we are. We got the car lot open. We've been open about a month or six weeks. Here, Dan Conroy, my sack, calls me. You guys aren't selling cars, are you? I said, well, it's a car lot. He said, no, no, you can't sell no cars. You can't sell no cars. Somebody might get hurt or something. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I said, okay. And I had a really good friend. He was actually had documented him as a snitch who was a used car dealer. So we kind of ran the cars through him. So it looked like we were selling cars. But the only car we ever sold, Jaber, this is funny as hell. Hofer and Frazier, they go in town buying guns or whatever they were doing. And they, there was a big car detail place kind of behind us. And there was a kid there that was, uh, he was kind of retarded, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, but he just was. And so they said, look out for the car lot. We'll be back in a few hours. That kid sold a damn car. <laughs> and Dan Conroy, if you hear this, I never told anybody. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorites because, you know, it was a scheming. You know how long terms are. It's, it's all scheming and thinking outside the box. And, you know, I'm, Roger Hunt, he was he was slick now. We called Albert Hunt, his dumbass brother, we called him 15 minutes after we undercovers met him. He gave him marijuana for cigarettes. But Roger was much smarter and slicker than that. But he loved uh, gold jewelry, you know, homemade, like nugget rings and necklaces, that kind of stuff. So I went to a friend of mine in Orlando had a small jewelry store. And I was asking him about scrap gold. And he brought this little bag out, you know, a little velvet bag, and he poured it out. It had chains that were broken and diamond rings with no diamonds, stuff like that. And I said, man, what, what you going to do with that? He said, I'll just sell it for meltdown or whatever. I said, how much? He said, uh, $700. I said, we tell it to me? Yeah. 
I bought it for seven hundred dollars. I never forget that. Frank uh, Bob Hofer called Roger. They had already met Roger and all. I said, Roger, I, I got something I think you're interested in. They took that jewelry over there and showed it to him. He about had an orgasm, and we sold it to him for four hundred dollars because he knew it was worth seven. But we sold it to him for four hundred dollars. This is a true Jaybird. About ten days later, after uh, they sold him that gold, Roger called Hofer and said. Come over here. I got some guns. I want to say. Went over there. They bought 21 guns that were stolen from the Sanford chief of police's house. The chief didn't even know they were stolen yet. He was on vacation. <laughs> and all that became about a what? Scheming. You know, it's like y'all fight that killing that guy in Mexico. That's the fun of long term. Is the damn scheming. Right? You know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my favorite. I did some others I liked a lot, but that was my favorite of all. I always viewed Charlie as smarter than the rest of us, at least smarter than me. I asked Charlie if he had a most perilous event to recall. Those street smarts allowed him to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. His courage was found in his intelligence. You know, I was I read your email yesterday, Jay Bird, and I was thinking about it last night, and I don't remember thinking that way. I mean, I know I, I was in a couple of places that I wasn't comfortable, but I, I never, I wasn't stupid. Early on, I was stupid, but later on, I wasn't stupid. I just don't, I didn't look at it that way. I just thought, well, other people come in here, bad guys, and do the same thing I'm doing. He ain't killing them regular. You know, and I had made some big mistakes and they didn't kill me. So I just, I don't, I didn't have that. Does that make sense to you, Jay? I got my daddy's brain. I'm a really smart guy. I'm not, I'm just telling you I am. You know, and, and, I, and smart guys make really good undercovers because you just work your way out of that. You know, you've faced it many times. What the hell? And then something will come to you, and it's the perfect solution. And you think, where the hell did that come from? And, and, and I think you're right on that, Jay. And you look at all the guys, Mike Yacht, you know, all those guys, they were smart. They were smart. And they just worked their way out of it. But I felt like I could work my way out of it, and I did. Being courageous, relying on clever wit and quick thinking, did not eliminate perilous situations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this involves our buddy Ken King. You know, Ken, Ken was started in Orlando. And he and I worked together a lot. And undercover, man, we were bad to the bone, Jay Because he was smart, too. But he was quiet, laid back, thinking about how he going to kill him if he had to. <laughs> so Ken and I, <laughs> you know, we did a lot of cold knocks. We didn't, you know, we had snitches, but we didn't need a snitch. We weren't afraid to go cold knock. And so we got information on this guy in Bavard County, that's uh, Cocoa Beach, that area. We're selling bombs. So we load up, we go over there, and never forget, it's right off, you could see his house, you could see I-95 south from his house. 
And we go in there and we start talking to him. And the first thing he does, we're going to the house, he does a wallet check. Let me see your wallets. We're like, what the hell? You know, so we hand him our wallets. You know, my and Monica have a wallet. And anyway, he was just looking for a badge. He didn't really go through them, you know. And what's funny about that, when we left, I was getting killed. I said, what about that wallet check? He said, what about that was my real wallet? <laughs> But he's not all bad. So anyway, we're talking to him about bombs. And he said, come here. Come on out. Come on, show you something. Come on. And we go outside. He's out in the kind of the middle of nowhere. We go outside, and he goes over inside this pond or whatever. And he comes back. And he said, what's this? Boom. He sets off a bomb. The bomb. And I remember. Scared the shit out of us. But I remember looking at Ken thinking. Ken was thinking the same thing. He just destroyed our evidence. <laughs> he just blew up our evidence. Well, we got no bomb to buy. Yeah, but we did. We didn't. We didn't get a bomb off that guy. But we got a hundred pounds of wheat off that guy. But I remember, man, me and me and Ken had some. Oh man, we were the first guys to buy the Tech Nine. It was called a, a KG. It was like a KG Nine. He and I go down to. Vero Beach, Florida. This guy, and this Tech Nine, all you had to do, it, it fired from an open boat. So all you had to do was clip the little retaining thing off, take the side cutters, and that thing would go full automatic. And I remember we bought that thing off a guy and sent it to headquarters. They said, What the hell? They hadn't even seen the gun. And then it, that thing evolved into the KG 99 and the Tech 99 and all that stuff. But I'll never forget. We decided we're by ourselves. We got no cover team. And we decided he's going to deliver another machine gun. Let's just take him down. And it's outside in the back of this little bar. This is funny as hell, Jay Bird. So we, get, we come outside in the back, and I said, Where's the gun? He says, It's under that beer flat. I said, a cardboard box. I said, What? It's under there. Like if he didn't hand it to me, he wasn't guilty. So I get it. It's all good. It's all automatic. So. We, you know, we're federal agents shown to arrest. We grab him, and we got him. Fortunately, we got him handcuffed pretty quick. And then we got him handcuffed. And said, "Come on over in our car. We're gonna take him to jail." And we got a Cadillac sedan, you know, really high-end Cadillac there. And we're telling him we're federal agents, but he ain't believing it, Jaber. And when he saw the Cadillac, he said. Oh my God, oh my God, don't kill me. He thought we were monsters. We were going to take him off and kill him. He truly did. <laughs> and then it was getting funnier, Jack. So then we go him in the back of the Cadillac, back seat, and we looked at him and we said, Where's the jail? Because we didn't go to any river. We didn't know where the jail was. And then we, oh, he started wailing in. Oh my God. <laughs> You're going to kill me. And well, the only thing we way we could calm him down, we took him by to let him see his girlfriend, so he would know we weren't gonna kill him and, and take him. And then, Jaber, we find out after all this goes down, that guy had won the Badman contest in Orlando, Florida. You remember those Badman contests? Oh man, in the no gloves, get in there and do it out. He won the damn thing. He was a badass pitcher. <laughs> we just got lucky and got him cuffed before he could do anything. Ken and I still laugh about that. I swear to God. <laughs>
I'm sorry, that was funny. Now, come on. When Charlie landed at ATF's academy to run the field operations training, none of us yet fully understood that we were being taught by a national treasure. He battled the system to surround himself with the best of the best, then demanded a job first, play second work ethic from those he recruited to help him. I enjoyed that. You know, but the, the, the part I enjoyed the most was all those instructors I got to bring in. You know, Sully and Box and Langley and, and uh, Bambi. Uh, it goes way back. I mean, it goes way back. Frank Jury out of Chicago. I met so many unbelievable investigators that kind of it worked undercover. They didn't necessarily totally work undercover, but it was one of their fields. They enjoyed that part of it. And meet those guys, talking to them, learning from them. I was just, you know, I know so much about undercover. Nobody knows as much about undercover as I do. And it's not because I did it. I didn't. It's because of all those, you know who they are. And I got to hang with them, drink with them, all that stuff, man. Get laid with them. We did all that shit. <laughs> Vince left a lot of it out. But I got to do all that. And that was that's that was what it was all about, Jay. That was the best. That was you know, Jay Bird? And I realized that it while I was at the academy. I knew that. I actually knew that. Because I knew how many wanted to go, you know, and and it was a battle. It was a constant battle for me because they were always getting in trouble. Because they worked. They made cases. They got in trouble. And so their sack didn't want to let them come. And then I'd have to go to the you know, the boss there at the academy and say, Don, give me a break. Will you call this sack and explain to him it's difficult to get those kind of instructors? So they loved me for that, too. They knew I'd go to bat for you know. And so, yeah, I knew it was. And, but I, and that gave me the pick of the litter, Jay Bird. Uh, the pick of the litter, boy. I, there were people, oh, he's a good undercover. I didn't like his attitude. I wouldn't have him. I wouldn't have him. He, he didn't have a heart. And you're right, Jay Bird. That, I demanded that, and, uh, and I got it, too. Because if you didn't want to give me that, you weren't coming back. You were not coming back. And, and if you didn't have heart, you had to have heart. You know what heart is. You, you got to care about people that are going to go do, work undercover. You know how difficult it's going to be for them, how scary and all that. You got to have heart. You had to want to give them everything you could give them to make their career easier than yours. And that's the people I selected. And there was, there were a bunch, Jay Bird, they, they only came once. They only came once. And I didn't give a shit. You ain't coming back. I didn't care. Yeah, that's been my whole thesis of my whole training career. If they don't care if some guy bought six kilos, they're not going to buy six kilos. Okay, they're buying street dope. And they don't care about that. They want to hear you admit, man, you would not believe how stupid I was because this is what I did. And so when they critiqued those practical exercises 
They didn't just say, well, you're a dumbass. Look how stupid you were. They, they would say, man, I did the same thing, but not in a practical. I did it in real life. <laughs> so don't feel bad, you know. They all admitted that was one of the rules. Behave yourself while we're working. And then, you know, tell them your mistakes. Tell the truth. They don't care how much shit you bought, you know. You teach a lot of these guys, and, and you go out and drink with the students. And they say, tell us some stories, Charlie. They want to hear stories, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, but I didn't. It just wasn't my thing, and it wasn't y'all's thing either. It really wasn't. You know, y'all never sat around talking about how great you were. Y'all talked about how stupid you each other were. And that's, that's how it was. But they were, and I think you'll admit this. Undercover is actually one of the easiest things you can do as a cop. It is. All you're going to do, you just befriend them and betray them. You, it, 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 really, it's not hard. Think about it, Jaber. You know, you, just, you go meet a guy, cold knock, hey, I need some dope. It's not any different sitting in a bar with some chick, say, hey, I'd like to take you to bed. It's the same damn thing. It, other than there's maybe some risk involved there. And, and I, that's what I tried to convince people. If I can work undercover, get out of here. Anybody can. And you admit that, too. I've heard you say it. And, and that, that was the call. I just wanted to say, go try it. They ain't going to kill you. Okay? You're going to make mistakes. You make mistakes playing football. You make mistakes doing interviews. It ain't going to kill you. And... That's what I try to instill. But I, my those instructors that came and helped us, Jaybird, those were the real deal. I didn't have to put a lot of confidence in them, but I told them the truth. I said, you got it together. I want you back here. Here. And you know I had a core group that I liked having there because they were the... They had heart, man, and they had confidence and they were going to sell that to everybody they met in that class. Everybody. So, I miss that, Jaber. I miss that. I truly do. But you know what? You know what my legacy is, Jaber? It's on my refrigerator. And because and, I open it to get beer. And it, it says, this makes me spot, smile. This is tough, Jaybird, but I don't want my life to be defined by what is etched on a tombstone. I want it to be defined by what is etched in the lives and hearts of those I've touched. And I know that's my legacy. I know that. People can say, well, you're all cocky and all. I don't give a shit. I know that's my legacy. I've touched a lot of people in my life. You have too, Jaber, and other people have too. It doesn't make me special, but it is what it is, and that's a pretty good legacy. I'll take that over any undercover buy I ever made. When he had pissed off the wrong bosses and Charlie could no longer pass his knowledge forward as an agent, he started his own business, took his show on the road, and built the largest undercover training program in history. 25 years working and training agents while an ATF agent then another 26 years of teaching undercover as a private business. 
Over 50 years of elevating the undercover game and touching over 20,000 students. 20,000. Saving careers, saving lives, and what he is most proud of, saving families. That's why I went on a period on afterwards. That's why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I had job offers, big job offers. Nah, I ain't doing that. You know, so that's why I went off teaching. ATF wouldn't let me do it on the job. They didn't want me to do that anymore. And I had so much to give. I had learned so much at the academy. I, I, you know, it, it's a crime not to share it. It truly is. And, and it wasn't all about the money. I made a lot of money. I toys and I would send you anything she wanted. You know, sure, that was there. But it wasn't the money. I, I just enjoyed doing teaching as much as I did putting people in jail. I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed hanging with those narcs in the class and all that, you know. It was just, then we did practical exercises over uh, Marie in Mississippi. So I got to bring in instructors there, hardcores, hardcore undercovers that had heart and wanted to share all their mistakes and everything else. So, I mean, it was just, it was, uh, it was, it was my own. That's what I wanted. Well, I've been retired 26 years, so 26 years, too. So I started at Red Fox, and I started immediately. You know, we didn't we didn't do very well, but we started immediately. And then we got a contract with the government over there at Meridian, Mississippi, and, and that was a – we were rocking and rolling then. Rocking and rolling. But even more important, Jay, more important – and it's being safe like that, I have saved many families. I have saved families. And I know that. They call me. They email me. I talk to the wife of saved families. You you can't even put a price on that one, Jay Bird. There is no way. Tammy will tell you the same thing. That's what I've done. And others have, too. I'm not just the only one. Because I guarantee you, they were there at the academy, state and local undercovers and all. You guys are off-duty at night, drinking with these students, having a good time. There were some people. Y'all saved some people there. Their family. You saved them and their family. So it ain't just Charlie, you know. I've heard it many times over the years, Charlie's duck theory. Our relationship has always been one of honesty. I didn't always like what he had to say to me or about me, but I always knew that it was from the heart and it was the truth. You know, undercovers, just, it's an art. It's an art. It's all it is. So you can train, practice, rehearse. You can do a lot of things, you know, become a great undercover. But it's so easy to lose it. It's my duck theory. When you look like a duck, talk like a duck, act like a duck, deal with ducks, dress like a duck, it's easy to become a duck, Jay Bird. You were close. You were close. I know you were. I even know when. So you, you know how easy it is to get sucked into it. And then family don't matter. The only thing that matters, I gotta go get me another buy. You know? 
and it's it's the nature of the beast, Shaver, because it's like it's like you. Okay, I know you pretty well. I've known you a long time. And when you were when, when you were in there doing the angels, that big long long curve thing, you know, uh, Galen and I, we're looking at you. We kind of look out for you a little bit, you know. But then you evolved into that egotistical, egotistical piece of shit. But Jay Bird, you have to have that. Because when you're working undercover, especially long term, or you know, when you gotta go deep meet a guy six times, ten times, twenty times, much less see him every day of your life, you gotta believe in yourself. You gotta believe I can do this and my ass is bad. And you get egotistical because you have to. But then once it's over, you slowly you evolve back to hey, I just was I was at the right place at the right time. You do you understand what I mean? It's the nature of the beast. You have to believe. If you don't believe, the bad guys ain't gonna believe, Jay Bird. They ain't gonna believe. <laughs> no matter how stupid you are or how many mistakes you make, if you don't believe in yourself, they ain't gonna believe. So I, I try to explain that to them and, and say, take it easy on these guys that work a whole lot of undercover. Sure, they get egotistical, but it's going to come back. It'll be the right guy. Just give them time. Yeah, give them time. And then the last thing I tell every one of them, every one of them, is I, you know, nobody knows how much fun I had working undercover. I had a lot of fun, but I would give it all up, Jay Bird, if I had Francis, Stephanie, and Adam. And that was my first family. That was my family. And I lost them. I give it all up. Give it all up. Give it all up. I would, man. Because it ain't worth it. And I try to convince some of that. And, you know, that's where I get some of those guys that, that email me after class. And, you know, thanking me and say, I went back and talked to my wife. I'm going to fix it with my wife. What's that worth, Jaybird? What's that worth? <laughs> you can't put a price on that one, boy. It's a psychological risk. They don't believe me all the time. You know, they think I can handle it. Not a big deal. Not losing their family and stuff. That's the hardest part, Jaybird, because, because they've never experienced it. They don't, even though I tell them what happened to me and everything else, they don't, oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. Because they think they can. And some do. Now, don't get me wrong. Some do. To me, that's the hardest is to convince them it ain't worth it, man. Look look into the end right here. You know, what's going to happen to me when I'm retired? What do I have in my life when I'm retired? A bunch of undercover stories? That ain't worth nothing. You can write a book. Okay, write a book. You know, but what's that? You know, I mean, what family are you on? That's the hardest thing to convince them. Truly is. That's why I love giving my psych class. I won't do a school without doing it. Just won't do it. You know, so that's, and and another thing I, I try to 
stress to them is that in their undercover career, they are going to be, let's, put, let's just use the word challenged by the bureaucrats in their department. Because a lot of those bureaucrats are dumb as a rock. And they are going to I, mean, I open a used car lot, and they call me and say, are you selling cars? What the hell? I had every document. You know, and you, you have to remember, Jaybird, you'll testify to the same. If we hadn't had the bureaucrats screwing with us, we'd have made some hellacious cases. Holy shit. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, you know it, man. So I try to tell them to focus, stay focused. You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. Just stay steady. Watch out for your family. And then here's how you can keep yourself safe. Carry guns. If, if a deal's stupid, then leave. That's a, a that's number two, Jay Bird. Convincing them to walk out of a deal. That's almost impossible. Even though I have, you know, I got a video interview of old, uh, uh, Hank Oaks up in Baltimore, Maryland. Gets shot in the head. Not the head on undercover deal. And he he tells him in an interview, you know, before I got shot, I would never walk away from a deal. No way. He said, now I'd run. And you you have, you yourself, Ken King and I have been in that where we should have walked away. Every physical confrontation I got into undercover, I could have avoided if I had just walked away. But I ain't walking tail with you. <laughs> you know, you learn that later on in life, you know, even as an undercover. I remember when, when I first time I heard your story about the Hells Angels, you know, I never forgot it. I did one thing in there, a lot of things. But the one, and I, I even shared it with the students. The one thing you, I remember you saying is you got your crew together and you're fixing to go out undercover, you know, with the angels on it. You'd sit down and say, okay, guys, we're leaving early. We're leaving early. Right, Jaybird? Because when did the fight start? Later. When's the shooting start? Later. I remember that. I tell the students that, you know, leave early. It's okay. You're never going to solve the drug problem in America. Get out of here. <laughs> People laugh at you. Why did you leave? I just didn't like it in there. Here, you go try it. The one that's saying, mocking you for leaving, he's the one that won't go. He ain't going in there. But he tells everybody he's undercover, but he ain't going in there. You know what I'm talking about. Chicken shits. <laughs> I don't like them kind of people either, Jay Bird. But, man, there is no... There is no shame in leaving. And and you'll know when it's time, but you just don't do it. Most people that get shot, beat the ass, whatever, they could have left. And, and later they said, yeah, I wanted to leave, but I just didn't leave. You know, all I can hope is, and I know I have, I've left some, when I pass on here, some people that... Respect it like you respect the profession. Want to teach people stuff like that. You know that's that's important to me. I picked I picked Carlos Boxali, and then I picked um, Langley Jim Langley to, to follow me at the academy because they had heart, they had experience, and they wanted to share it, and they wanted to teach people. That's why. And there was a that was 
not easy for them. It meant they had to leave the world of undercover, the world of investigating, you know, which we all loved, you know, and so they gave up that as a favor to me. So, and they did me well. They did me well. The one that comes to mind is Joey out of Cleveland. You know Joey, the museum. And I saved Joey. I saved him. And and he's married, got a kid, all that. And that's on me. And he knows that, and he appreciates that, you know. And that that's, I can't even tell you what that means to me. And I know I, I saved that kid. I saved some others too, but that one I know. You, you, and you, and some of the others, hardcores that were in the training, hardcore. And I'm talking new agent training. You could tell you were dedicated to UC, and you guys went on and did that. You went on and did that, and you know, uh, <clears throat> Bayless and uh, the Chicago guys. You know, all those guys. You know who I'm talking about. They they enjoyed it in new agent training. They knew they came back, you know, and they proved the profession to be honorable. Truly did. And none of them guys going to prison or anything. You know, they did some serious shit, Teddy Bird, just like you. They did serious shit, and they didn't go to prison. They maintained it. And I'm proud of that too. I really am. I gave them some skills, and you gave them some skills, and everybody else gave them skills. Wasn't just old Charlie. So I just had the platform for that to happen. Was all. God touches our lives in many ways. Sometimes simply through the presence of others. I'm not a a Jesus freak or anything like that. I believe. I'm not afraid of dying. Um, I think it has a. I think God saved me by way of Connie, Connie, and I. I go to that faith every once in a while when I have, you know, just personal issues. I, I believe I know where my daddy is right now. I'm not sure which way I'm going because I did a lot of bad things, but you know I got to do what I got to do, and I have the faith. Maybe God will cut me a break. So I can go see my daddy again. You know? Yeah. My mama, too. <laughs> Charlie, like all of us, has some regret for missed opportunities. The biggest regret I have is I wanted to go to law school when I retired. I wanted to be a defense attorney. I really did. Uh, but fortunately for you investigators, um, I got too busy training and I never got to law school. That is a regret. I would have been a great lawyer, there's no doubt. And a good lawyer just knows how to make a deal. He knows how to, you know, great lawyers say, well, I love great. You know, we didn't meet many of them in our career. If you really look back, there weren't a lot of great lawyers. But when you encountered that really, really good lawyer, he made you a hell of a lot better investigator, boy. And when he tore your ass up, he ain't did it but once. That's it. You think about it, Jay. They made you better. And I didn't get to do that, but, uh, you know, I regret that. Charlie's greatest achievement is all those lives and careers he has inspired. 20,000 students. 
it's not the wives. I've had some really cool wives. Still got a great one now. And, you know, all that person. I mean, that's my greatest achievement. Nobody else has done that. Nobody. And nobody else has done it like I did it. Even though undercover's a dying art, it's kind of dying away. Yeah, I remember one summer, uh, I went 10 weeks in a row. 10 weeks in a row I was on the road. But, you know, that was, that was fun. Uh, Cindy was with me on some of those. It was all fun. It wasn't like a, a burden or anything, you know. I, I got to see the world. I got to think of the people on that, Jaybird. You have no clue. You got an idea because you do those big conferences like I do, and you, you don't meet a lot of people there. <clears throat> but, but in that classroom environment, I met some really cool people, boy. <clears throat> really cool. Better undercover than I ever was. <laughs> I promise you. Yeah. As his students, many of us wanted the secret to success. There's too many things they need to understand and at least be aware of, whether they learn it or not. At least be aware of it, you know. And, you know, carry a gun, you know, leave when you want to leave. Just a lot of little, keep, take care of your family. You know, it's too many to just to say there's one. You know, I know students come to my class looking for the secret. Charlie's going to give us the secret to undercover. I tell them right off the bat, I said, boys, I'm sorry. There ain't no secret. <laughs> there is no secret. You're just going to go have to go out there, do it, make mistakes, score big, lose. It's all, there is no secret to undercover. There isn't. And you know there isn't, Jay. Because every deal's so different. I mean, sometimes you got to act like you're a little bit of a badass. Sometimes you got to be a complete wuss. You know, he thinks you're just a total punk. I mean, there's no, there's no secret to it. But I think my secret was understand what undercover is. It's befriend and betray. So my number one mission was to befriend the guy, make him like me. Whether that's, hey, man, how you doing? I like your ball cap. It's cool. Whether it's a stupid little compliment, ask him a question I know he knows the answer to. He already feels smarter than me. Those are the little nuances to me. Understand, befriend and betray. That's all it is. Befriend and betray. I don't care if it's a, you're buying $20 rock on the street. Hey, man, how you doing? You okay? I'm trying to, but I'm not going to be his friend. But give him something that to like me, maybe like me. Make him feel superior to me. Well, I don't care. You you ran into, you know, to a certain point, but I don't care if a guy thinks he can whip my ass. I don't care. He may not be able to, but I don't care. I don't like lying to people. I don't like convincing them whatever it's, it's not my real personality but it was my job that was my job to give them an opportunity if they were so of a mind to break the law that's all I did if they didn't do it then fine that's okay not a problem but you I, I tell the students you that will bother you if you're a decent human being that will bother you you got I met a lot of guys working undercover I liked I'm talking good old boys that were selling a machine gun. They were good guys. I liked them. 
But I had to befriend them, and then I had to test arrest them and testify against them. That's my job. That's my job. And what the problem is that sometimes is you get so good at it, you do it personally. I mean, you, you know. God, come on, man. Some of the scams we have run off-duty. Off-duty. Convince people of the wildest shit in the world just to do it. Just to do it. So you, like, you get a little addicted to that. Uh, I can't convince this guy of any damn thing. I truly can. You know, we did that shit at the at Fletchy. We went on Tim Burns. You know how Tim was all buffed out. I mean, huge buffed out. We we went to the marshal's office, borrowed their limousine. We went to Emmeline and Hesse's ahead of time, spread the word inside the bar that this big world championship wrestler was coming. And that limousine pull up, and then Tim Burns would get out in a suit. <laughs> all the girls all over his shit. And we just did it for what? Just to run a game. Just to run a game. And you can get addicted to running a game. You run a few games in your life, Mr. Dobbins. <laughs> Charlie never, ever pulled any punches in his commitment to preserve a dying art. In the undercover environment, that is a very unique environment. If you've never been there, you will never truly understand what it's like. You cannot, it cannot be explained to you. It can't. It's, it's a very personal, unique feeling. And, you know, undercovers are, are really pretty special, even though they don't even have an ego sometimes. Because only one, probably 1% one of cops actually get to work undercover. Only 1%. Think about it, Jaybird. In ATF, it was 1%. Big police departments, 1%. Very unique. Very unique. And the only thing I care about as I go on down the road here is I just want, like you, I want people to understand it's a craft. It's not nothing special. It's just a craft. It's like interviewing or whatever. That's just... It's just a craft, and I really don't want that craft to go away because it's a necessary part of law enforcement. You know, why would you undercover him? It's the easiest way, the quickest way to find out. Do you want to sell me dope, or do you not want to sell me dope? Want to sell me a machine gun? You don't want to sell me a machine gun. You'll find out pretty damn quick, you know? So it's a craft that's under attack all the time. You know it. It's been under attack my whole career. They attacked us. They attacked it all. The, they don't like it. They don't like it. You know why bureaucrats don't like undercover jailers? They're afraid of it. And then one guy goes does something a little stupid. He goes stupid or whatever. And now their opinion is every undercover is crazy. You remember, man. I remember when I worked undercover. If the sack... Special agent in charge came to Orlando. I was out of town. I didn't want him to see me. My appearance alone, he didn't like. It, it scared him or whatever, Jaybird. You know? And then get back in your cave. That's what they did to you. 
They did it to me, you know. Get back in your cave or we're going to put internal affairs on your ass right now. Okay, you know. And and that that's one of the things that I can't even, you know how much that agitates me because it agitates you just as much. And we're out there doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. You think about you. You did the Hells Angels. You didn't smoke dope. You didn't do all that stupid shit. You didn't do that. But what do they say? Get back in that cave. Get back in that cave. Don't you be sticking your head out here. You know? And that was 180 degrees wrong. They, we were had fun. But that there was a lot of risk and planning and all that shit going on, you know? I mean... And they're afraid of us. You know another reason they're afraid of us, Jaybird? We don't lay down, boy. Come on. Come on after me. You want to come after me? Come on. We don't lay down like the other pussy agents. We don't do that. You look at me, Langley, Box, you, all of them. We didn't lay down. Come on. <laughs> prove it. You prove it. You know? And then I'll lay down. But when they caught you red-handed, what'd you do? He said, I did it. I'll take my three days. You know? But don't come after me over bullshit. Because we were having fun, you know, after we did all that. That scared the shit out of us. And what's the best way to get fear and scared out of you is go have some fun, laugh it off, joke about it. That's what it's all about. Right? You know how we are after undercover deals. We're going to go get rid of that stress. We're going to. But we ain't breaking the law. We ain't, we ain't doing any of that crap. So that's, you hear the anger in my voice, don't you? It just takes a shit out of me, Jayla. Agitates me. Yeah, you, a lot of people. You know, Gene Reitmeyer, a lot. I mean, I can't even name all the people. And it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. But I know when you got caught, you gave it up. Okay, I'll take the five days or whatever it was for that bikini. You know, a big deal. Wasn't a big deal. But that, that that's why it's always under attack. People are afraid to do it. Not so much that they can't do it, but what are the consequences to my career? And I tell the students, get ready. It ain't going to be easy. The bureaucrats are not going to like you. They are afraid of you. They can't do what you do. They're jealous of you. They're all those things. And when you're especially an inadequate bureaucrat, then the only thing you can do is retaliate. Because you ain't got no game. You ain't got nothing. So you just retaliate. Because they got power. They got power. You know? So, and I ain't got no use for nobody like that. And, and and of course, as you get older, you don't give a shit anyway, but I ain't putting up with it, you know? So I'll tell them right to their damn face, you're a piece of shit, you know? So I'll testify against them. I'll do whatever I got to do. And the true brothers will. They'll all do that. They'll all do that. But I don't blame some of those guys. Okay, Jibber? You know, they, they got a career and they want to have a career, so it's okay. And you know that's true. And you know how they're going to talk about you, and I know how they're going to talk about me. And that's all I need, man. That's all I need.
During this chat, Charlie mentioned a literal murderer's row of undercover meat eaters. He worked or trained with all of them, some of the very best to ever strap on a body wire. When I think of Charlie Fuller, his life, his contributions, what he did for me personally and professionally, Charlie, you have inspired many of us in ways you may never know. That is why we love you. This is what comes to mind when I think of Charlie Fuller. Live your life like a comet. Burn bright and fast and light up the sky. When you are gone, leave with a brilliance that makes others stop, watch, think, and wish. Dare to strap on wings and fly. That's impossible, said pride. It's too risky, said experience. It's pointless, said reason, standing next to logic. Why not go ahead and try it, said the heart. But what if I fail, said fear. Then courage looked at all of us and said, But what if you can fly? Copland is produced for those courageous men and women whose alarm clock goes off every day. They put their feet on the ground, buckle on gear, and kiss their families goodbye with no guarantee they will ever come home. They go willingly, facing predators and violence on behalf of good and innocent people who simply want to live safe, peaceful lives. Thank you for listening. God bless and go be amazing.